friends, sometimes on a Wednesday night, you just need to be reminded that our God is great, and He's greatly to be praised, and He's greater than anyone or anything in our life. He's greater than any problem, any difficulty, any trial, any test, any need. There is no one or no thing that God is not greater than, and sometimes you just need to be reminded about that. And I think on a Wednesday night, it's so fitting. Welcome to Bible study. I'm glad you made it. We had horrific, horrific rain come through here earlier. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to announce that the parking lot drained like a champ. And uh, I kept, I stood out there and I watched it personally. And I'm like, Lord. And then it had this one little section where they've got some covering inside the drain and the water was filling up. I'm like, Lord, that, that can't happen. And Joe explained to me that once we take that out, it'll go down. But it's going to be beautiful. It already is beautiful. And so I'm excited to be able to use that. I chose the music tonight and uh, there was a word that stuck out to me in our hymns. You'll sing it a couple of times in the first hymn, and it will be in the title of the second hymn, and that is the word friend. And I don't know a greater friend than the lowly Jesus, right? How lovely he is. The the songwriter said, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. Goes on to talk about how he knows all about our struggles. He will guide Till the day is done, there's not a friend like the lowly, lovely Lord Jesus. I hope this song just kind of encourages you tonight. I trust if you've come in here looking to be lifted, that this hymn will begin that process. Stand if you would. Let's sing the hymn, No, Not One, Not a Friend Like Jesus. There's not a friend like a lowly Jesus. No, not one, no, not one. None else could heal all the soul's diseases. No, not one, no, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like a like a lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Did every saint find his friend forsaken? No, not one. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him? No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will die till the day is done. There's not a friend like a lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. 
like the Savior given. No, not one, no, not one. Will he refuse us a home in heaven? No, not one, no, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will die till the day is done. There's not a friend like a lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for what a great day it was. Father, as this song was, we were singing it. When pastors was explaining it, it's so fitting for today because I want to give you praise for the test that you gave me today. Father, I just thank you for allowing me to fully trust in you as I always do. Father, when pastor called me today, I was sitting down in the shed and the rain was coming down and he asked me, is it going to be okay? My first response was going to be, oh, no, but... You gave me a verse that said, always trust in you. My response to pastor was, it's going to be fine. And Father, at the end of the day, you're always there. And once again, you proved that you were right and you're always there. And it turned out perfectly. Father, tonight, if there's someone here that hasn't fully trusted you and opened their heart to accept you, may tonight be tonight because it's pure joy to be able to praise you in your holy name, Father. Father, be with Pastor tonight as he brings us another part of the series about the home. Be with us now as we turn around and wave to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and wave to your neighbor. By way of announcement tonight, just a uh, couple of things to rejoice in the Lord over. We had just a marvelous day on Sunday, and it was good to see so many of our church family that was able to be back with us. It was wonderful to go to the table of the Lord. Um, You know, just because the service ends at a certain time doesn't mean that God stops working when the service ends. And so after the service and after we had shook hands and people were leaving the building, I was making my way down the hallway and I saw Pastor Ruben standing here talking to a group of people and poked my head in, said hello, and I could tell that uh, they were talking about the Lord. It was in complete Spanish, but I just sensed it was about the Lord. And uh, praise the Lord after that, three folks prayed to receive Jesus Christ sitting right there in that pew. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful way to end the table of the Lord. I don't know about you, but it was a blessing to commune with the Savior on Sunday. And you could just feel his presence, uh, his invitation, and what a joy it was to do that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. Many of you did watch online. Welcome tonight. 
for watching online. We had our room for those that uh, are high risk and wanted the, the extra protection, and so that went wonderful. I do believe we'll have that room available this coming Sunday as uh, some people need that, and I want to make that available to them to, uh, so they can come to church. So if you were in the room last week or you want to join the room this week, it's very easily accessible, and we'll have that set up for the services. Uh, speaking of services, let me just remind you that this Saturday we have the memorial service for Pat Harris. Uh, Pat Harris had gone home to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago, and she is loved in our church, and she is missed in our church. Um, and we're going to have her service at 11 o'clock this Saturday. I do believe that all three of her children will be here and some of her grandchildren will be here, and we're just going to have a wonderful time rejoicing in the Lord and remembering Pat. And anytime you think about Pat Harris, you think about three or four particular things, but first off would be her laugh. I wish I had it on recording. I would love to play it. She had just a wonderful laugh and a wonderful way that she trusted the Lord. So if you're able to make that, your presence will be a blessing. Uh, there will be a light lunch after that as we just kind of fellowship one with another. And uh, if you can stay, that would be tremendous as well. Uh, of course, we're looking forward to being back in the book of John on Sunday. And hard to believe that tomorrow is October 1st. Wow, where did the time go and how it's, how it's moving on. Folks in our church that, that need prayer tonight, and I, I would hope that you would at least... Uh, jot something here in your mind, if nothing else. Praise the Lord. Tiffany Hernan is home from her surgery. Um, she is recovering. Of course, you can imagine as a major surgery as it was, that that is a day-by-day process. Uh, the Hernan family sends their love, and you can reach them um, a little bit if you know them through texting or have their phone. She may not be able to respond all the time, but um, she'll get to you as she's able to do that. Uh, they're rejoicing tonight. Please continue to keep her in prayer. Um, Jen Fernandez uh, is rejoicing tonight. You know, she had immediate gallbladder surgery last week, and she is recovering. She is home. Uh, the recovery process is a little bit slow and difficult, so I'm sure that she would appreciate our prayers tonight as well. Gail Trotman is rejoicing this evening. We have been praying for her grandson, Tommy, who was in Japan to get home and to see his grandfather. The grandfather had congestive heart failure and Tommy was able. God did provide that and he did make it home this week. And she wanted to make sure that we let the church know and give praise and glory there. At the same token, Gail would like you to pray for her granddaughter and her name eludes me right now, but she lost the baby in her womb at six months. And so as Grandma was rejoicing over her grandson coming home from the military, she had to weep with her granddaughter, who the little baby went to heaven from the womb at six months of age. And so pray, if you would, please, for Gail, that she would be a blessing and a, just a comfort to her granddaughter, Judy Dulligite. Our precious dear lady was going to have surgery on October 7th, and we've prayed for Judy for a long time, and so make sure that you lift her up in prayers. Brother Linworth Green is asking us to pray for a man named Richard, Richard Chin. He needs, he has some health difficulties, and so pray for him if you would, please. Um, Sherry Boots is asking us to pray for a friend, Scott, who is also having some health difficulties. And so if we would lift Scott to the throne of grace. 
Uh, add to our prayer request tonight the Furman family. The Furman family is dealing with bad health right now, and they would covet our prayers this evening. And so please pray, if you would, for the Furman family. And then I see Brother Oscar right here. Brother Oscar seated down front in the white shirt. Brother Oscar is going to have to undergo a, a surgery. I did not know he was going to be here tonight, but he's made it back. And um, it's not something that he wanted to do, but it's something that God has just said, this is the way that you're going to walk in it. And so pray that God would just protect him and keep him. God would give him um, peace and just bring him through. Of course, we've been praying for his wife, Kathy. They are new members to our church as we presented on Sunday, and she's recovering from her knee surgery as well. Um, Of course, keep our building program in your prayers, that God would provide for that. We need the Lord to provide for that in a powerful and wonderful way. And so we're just trusting him day by day. Um, And day by day, God provides. And so we're thankful for for that as well. A couple of things looking out over the, the announcement ways. We are planning on, again, having our uh, children's ministries open at 8.30. We have two services, 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday. There will be the Sunday school or the junior churches at 8.30. So if that fits your family, we'll be ready for them as well. Uh, We are planning on opening Sunday school the first Sunday of November. That will be November one. Sunday school will not have all the classes we used to have. We're going we're gonna to downsize to about three or four adult classes. And uh, we need to do that for the way that we have to space the building right now. I'm not sure who's going to come back to Sunday school. I'm not sure where everybody stands. It's been just, just um, wow, difficult to get everybody back as is. So we're going to start this way and then we'll, we'll, we'll grow from there. But at November the 1st, which is the, the November 1st, is the first Sunday, we'll open up our Sunday schools. Choir practice is going to resume um, on October 11th, which is the su- second Sunday of October. And Brother Jeff will get word out to you there. If you're interested in singing in the choir, uh, there's two things that will need to happen. First off, you have to be a member. And second off, you have to know how to sing. Amen, right? And so we'll do a, have a little test for you. And, um, if the birds die, you don't get in. If the, if, if the, if they sing, then you, you make it in. So you have to go through a little bit of that. But, um, that's gonna begin to open up. We need our choir. I miss our choir. It's such a big part of the ministry on Sunday morning. And so I would beg you to consider that. If you can sing and you're not, and you're a member and you're not in the choir, when you're not serving in some other capacity, you ought to consider at least for the end of the year, maybe into next year, helping us uh, get started with COVID and all of that. Not all of our folks are going to make it back. So maybe you could pick up the bucket here a little bit and carry for a little while and, and help us. That would be wonderful. If I could sing, I would join the choir. If I could sing, I'd take Brother Rod's job, and he could have my job, and we would switch over. But that's just not, not something that's going to happen. So all of those things are we're working forward and looking forward towards, and so we got much to pray over and rejoice. Pray with me, if you would, please, and we'll sing our second hymn, and then we'll have our lesson. Heavenly Father, God, what a joy, what a privilege it is to be here tonight, to be in the house of God with the people of God, to study the Word of God. What a joy it is, Lord, to have folks tuning in over the airwaves and both here in, lo- in, our, in our local city, in our county, and yet 
the state of Florida and outside of Florida and around the world as people tune in to watch the services at Plantation Baptist Church. Father, I, I pray that you would just move tonight and teach and, and let us hear, God, as we look at our homes and a Christian home and we're all responsible for our homes and what takes place in our homes. And so I pray that you'd enable that. Lord, many of our folks tonight, their homes are rejoicing with the strong hand of God, with the miracle working power of God, the provision of God, the peace that you've provided, and we give you glory for that. Lord, many of our homes need requests, and they're petitioning tonight, and they're petitioning for physical health, they're petitioning for comfort, for guidance, for direction, for wisdom, for peace, uh, for safety. Some are facing surgeries. Gail, as a grandmother, has to comfort her granddaughter that lost her child. Lord, just difficult, difficult things. But you work in and you work through people. And so I pray, God, that you would do that. I pray you would meet these requests according to your perfect will. Father, the ministry here, I pray that you'd watch over your church. Thank you for the souls that were saved on Sunday. Thank you, God, for the privilege of the church to commune with you. What a joy it is to know Jesus as our Savior. And Lord, as we look forward and we begin to open up, we need our Sunday school ministry. We need that fellowship. We need that touch. We need the teaching of the Word of God. We need the service there. We need the praying together. We need the the caring for one another. So important. We're hurting without it. So as we move forward there, Lord, I pray your rich blessing upon that. We need our choir. We need them to sing the songs of heaven, the truths of the Word of God. Many times it is when the choir begins to sing that you begin to take over the service. And so, God, lead and guide and direct there accordingly. And we'll trust and thank you for that as well. So much. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done with the pouring of the concrete and the preparation of the, of the, of the property. And we're just excited to see it all finished to the glory of God. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to sing one more hymn. It's only three verses, but it's fitting for a Wednesday night. And it's entitled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. I trust you. Love your dear, precious friend. And in this hymn, you find him. You find the ministry that he is to us. Stand if you would. Let's sing, and then we'll make our way to our Bible lesson.
If you would, take your Bible, please. Make your way to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, let's begin in chapter number 6. I hope and pray that you have a scripture that you're able to follow along with tonight. And those of you that are watching at home and online, I, I pray that you are someplace where you can be concentrated. Um, shutting things down. I tried to watch... A couple of services at home and I found that I was very easily distracted. And so try to get yourself in a place where you're not easily distracted and you're able to concentrate. Maybe lock your children in a closet somehow, uh, kick your husband outside, do whatever it takes uh, to make sure that you have that opportunity. For those of you that are visiting with us tonight or you may be joining us new online On Wednesday nights, we've begun a series focusing on the subject of a Christian home. And um, we are taking some time and looking at our homes as Christians, as believers. We are acknowledging and emphasizing the power of the home, the, the touch of the home. The importance of our homes. I would submit to you that to the believer or non-believer, to the Christian, to the non-Christian, to the born-again child of God, to the non-born-again child of God, all of our homes are vitally important. And I do believe that the home is today under vicious attack. I think that vicious attack carries with it a demonic uh, origin. I think that Satan hates anything that God institutes or creates. And God did institute and create the home. When you read about the home in the Bible, you will find that that is a place of dwelling. It's a place where... Where we live, it's a place of covering. You will find that the influence and the impact of homes are of biblical magnitude. I, I'm, I find as the pastor in dealing with people, no matter how old they are, their, their home life has influenced and affected them and had consequence in them in some way. Um, I, I had a wonderful opportunity even today to speak with a young man who, who is directly impacted by what is going on in his home, what has gone on in his home. And so as a Christian, I believe that a, a, that a Christian ought to desire that their home be a Christian home. Um, we've looked and begun our series by what makes a home Christian. And we said that what makes a home Christian is the same thing that makes you a Christian. It's Christ in you. Uh, 
Uh, a home is not Christian just because it's declared to be Christian. A home is not Christian just because it has Christian pictures or Christian symbols. Or even because it has Christian uh, guides or directives. What makes a home Christian is the presence of Christ. And how does Christ inhabit a home? He inhabits a home as he inhabits people. And so we learn from our first lesson that just give me one saved person in the home and that home can be a Christian home. And praise God for that because I find many, many times you'll have two unsaved people that are married and they have children and then one spouse gets saved and, and then somehow the other spouse doesn't want the Lord Jesus. And so the saved spouse wonders, can they have a Christian home? Um, or, or a Christian person, unfortunately, marries an unsaved person. By the way, the Bible would be against a Christian marrying a non-Christian. It happens. People do it. They have reason why they do it. They, they justify it in their mind somehow I, I will tell you that any time we knowingly go against God's word, that's not going to turn out well in our lives. And so a Christian is not to marry a non-Christian. That's not a church doctrine. That, that's a Bible doctrine. It happens. And then, and then the Christian thinks, well, because I did that, then I'll, then I'll never have a Christian home. No, we looked at the life of Timothy. And Timothy had a Christian mom. He had a Christian grandmother. But we believe he had a non-Christian dad. And yet Timothy grew up in a Christian home. We looked at the purpose of what a Christian home is to be. We said, first off, it's to bring glory to God. God is to be glorified in and through our homes. Um, That ought to mean something to us as believers. Not only should God be glorified in and through our home, but our home ought to be a light to the community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means this, your neighborhood ought to know that you're a Christian, right? They ought to know that. And they ought to know that, that, that there's something different about that house. And my house ought to be a light and a testimony for the gospel of the Lord. That means that the way that I approach my family is important. The way I approach my neighbors are important. You know, the Bible says the second greatest commandment is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, you may have a dispute with your neighbor, an argument with your neighbor, but it better not be your fault. Right? Right? No Christian ought to have be the fault or the reason... They have a dispute with their neighbor. We're to love our neighbors. And our neighbors are to be able to look at our homes and see the evidence of Christ. The third purpose of our home is that our faith in the Lord is passed down to our children. Every saved parent wants their kid to be saved. Amen? We want our kids to to know the Lord. And so you, you don't really want your child to leave your home Without a relationship with the Lord Jesus. A true relationship. You, you don't want them to leave your home with you believing them to be saved and they're not. And you don't want them to leave your home without them having that, that relationship there. So 
the way my home is organized, the way I behave in my home, those are the three purposes that God is glorified in and through, that my home is a light for the gospel, and that I'm able to pass down the faith that I have in the Lord Jesus to my children. Now, I would love to shove it down their throat, right? All of us would, but we can't do that. But we can live it and, and believe it and it be real in our lives to where it's desiresome in their life. Last week, we talked about, as far as our Christian homes, um, that really and truthfully, one of the evidence or necessities of a Christian home is that it has a biblical worldview. This is our, our, our prism as we view the world. How do we see the world? What, what brings our prerogative? What brings our perceptive? Do we look at it as a Democrat? Do we look at it as a Republican? Do we look at it as a citizen? Do we look at it as an immigrant? Do we look at it as rich? Do we look at it as poor? Do we look at it as male? Do we look at it as female? Married? Single? Do we look at it according to the way Hollywood puts it? However, really and truthfully, the way that we are to process the world is through the Word of God. Right? So every Christian home ought to have a biblical world view. And so... Your belief system is supported by the Bible. Your direction is guided by the Bible. Your convictions are anchored upon the Bible. If the Bible says it's right, it's right. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says to do it, we do it. If the Bible says we don't do it, we don't do it. But our whole premise is is what, what does the Bible say? Now, I promise you, your home is being bombarded by all kinds of views today. All kinds of views. Your kids are being bombarded by all kinds of views. We talked about internet influencers. We talked about social media. We talked about the music of the world. I mean, there's just influence. Every, you even have television shows called The View. By the way, you're probably out of your mind if you watch The View. Uh, but The View. If you want to singleize the word view, let it be the biblical worldview, right? So, so your home... As a Christian, a biblical worldview is a necessity. And so we talked about that last time from the home of Moses. So tonight, and I don't believe I'll finish the lesson tonight. I know I won't finish it. But tonight I want to start a lesson entitled, A Christian Home is a Separated Home. And it's imperative that you understand the doctrine of Biblical separation when it comes to a Christian and the world. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about the people of the world. I'm not talking about your neighbor or your, your, your coworker or your boss or, or your, your people that you, you, you do life with. I'm not talking about the peoples of the world. When I'm talking about the world, I'm talking about that system of belief that is against the word of God. And our homes are to be separated homes. Now go, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, so I can give you biblical foundation for this, explain this to you, and show it to you. Um, Look, if you would, please, at verse number 14. We'll start there. Verse 14. Paul here is, is, is teaching the church at Corinth. And he's teaching them about their relationships with unsaved uh, people, per se, and with the world. Verse 14. Be ye, Christian, not unequally yoked together 
with unbelievers. Okay, now let's just stop right here. That doesn't mean you can't go golfing with your neighbor. That doesn't mean you can't go to the racetrack with your boss. That doesn't mean that you're just isolated from people. But there is a yoking or a tandem or coming under the same harness of of belief that Christians are not to do with unbelievers. For example, and this is kind of very practical, it goes back, a Christian should not marry uh, an unsaved person. A Christian businessman should not go in partnership with an unsaved businessman. You... You, you wouldn't want to yoke yourself in a, into a relationship where philosophies do not agree. The Bible says, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? So Paul's talking here about this joining of of effort, this joining of unity, this joining of vision, this joining of all of this, when it comes to an unbeliever, believers are not to be unequally yoked. That doesn't mean you can't sell your house to an unsaved person. Doesn't mean that you can't have relationships there, but those intimate, close, equality type relationships, that it's hard to do with a, with, with a different belief system. So keep reading. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now watch this. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Okay. I made a statement the other day, preaching from Sunday morning, when Jesus said, fellas, you guys can go to that feast because the world does not hate you, but it hates me. And I said to you that, and, and, and this is difficult for, for some people to understand, but if the world is going to hate Jesus, then they're probably going to hate Jesus' followers. That doesn't mean that, that your unsaved neighbor or friend hates us. It, what it means is that when the world gets down and dirty and they want to act upon their sinful nature the way we, you and I used to, they ought to hate our presence because our presence ought to bring light with the glory of the gospel. They ought to want to shun from our person because, and I find this all the time, people will say a cuss word in front of me and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't curse in front of the pastor. We shouldn't really curse in front of God, right? But our person and then our, our preaching. So, so the way that Jesus is light and exposure and the world doesn't want him around because they don't want their deeds to be to be received. So Jesus said it's actually like a hatred position. That's how it can be with, with us that are believers, right? So Paul says, what fellowship, that's a, a intimate word, hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Of course we can't. Verse 14, what communion hath light with darkness? Okay, you can't have light and darkness. As soon as you turn the light on, the darkness goes away. If you cut the light out, the darkness shows up. You can't have both. What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? There's no agreement there. Now watch this. For ye are the temple of the living God. If that's you, say amen. All right, so that's those of us that are saved. When we got saved, 
the Holy Spirit of God moved inside of me and my physical body has become now a habitation or the temple of the living God. In the Old Testament, he had a temple for his people to worship in. In the New Testament, he has a people for his temple. And so God inhabits us and our, our bodies become the temple of the living God. Now watch how he works this in verse number 16. As God has said, I will dwell in them walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now verse number 17. Wherefore, come out from among them. Who are the them? The them will be all of the description of unbelievers, of darkness, of Belial, all of that direction that goes against righteousness. Come out from among them and be Ye what? Separate. Now, he's not saying, and I'm going to pound this so you understand this. He's not saying that Christians can't have unsaved friends, uh, unsaved people that are friends. He's not saying we have that. How are we ever going to win in the Christ if we're not there? But when when it comes to belief system, when it comes to practice, because your belief system determines your behavior, from that we are to come out from the world's belief system and be separated from that there was a time when i loved the world's belief system but i've been saved i'm in the world but i'm not of the world because now i belong to jesus and i want for his righteousness as you do to shine in in our lives right so so there's a way that now we come out from that and and we're we're separated look if you would at verse 17 Saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. So the doctrine of separation for the Christian is that our lives are to be separated from the world system, from the unrighteousness of the world, from from the concord of the world, with the belial of the world, and with the unbelief of the world. Well, pastor, if we're separated from the world, are we in no man's land? Turn back one page and come, if you would, to chapter number 5, just a second. This is all introduction. Verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we are all dead. We're all dead. And that he died for all, we know that, speaking of Jesus dying for us, that they which live, speaking of those of us that have received the Lord, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto who, class? Him which died for them and rose again, right? So as as a believer, I'm, I'm separated away from the God of this world and from the system of this world and the belief of this world apart from the Bible, but I'm separated unto the Lord Jesus. So the separation is away from, but it's unto something. It's not me in in no man's land. So if I'm separated away from them, I'm separated unto the Lord. So if my home is going to be a separated home away from the world, then it must be separated unto the Lord, right? 
Okay. This is what the Bible wants for our homes. So let's look at an example. Come, if you would, to Genesis, please. Chapter number four, or 19. And I think one of the most powerful examples of the necessity of a separated home we will find in the life of a man named Lot. Pick up, if you would, please, in Genesis chapter 19, verse number 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. If you sit in the gate of Sodom, you have influence in the city. And Lot, seeing the two angels, rose up to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your way. Don't you wish you could tell your unwanted company that? Come in here, take a shower, go to bed, and get up and leave before anybody else wakes up. And they said, No. We're going to sleep in the street tonight. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. He made them a feast. He did bake them unleavened bread. And they did eat. Verse number four. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house Round, both old and what class? Young. All the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now that word know, K-N-O-W, is the same word that Adam knew his wife and she conceived. You're talking about men that wanted to sexually molest and abuse two angels. Bring them out here and let us have them. Verse number six. Lot went out at the door unto them shut the door after him and said, I pray you, what's that word? Brethren, are you kidding me? Do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known a man sexually. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes, you fool. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Tell me you're with me understanding what's going on, right? You understand swapping his girls for those perverts. 
to do whatever they wanted to to his two daughters. Verse number 9. The angel said, stand back. They, I'm sorry, not the angel. And they said, stand back, the men. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Oh, the world hates when Christians judge them. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men, these two angels, put forth their hand, and they pulled Lot into the house to them, and they shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of the place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And I have the last part of this verse underlined in my Bible. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-law. If you took your concordance and you looked up that word mocked, and maybe you have a study Bible, the word is joke. I would submit to you That when righteousness becomes a joke in our Christian homes, we're in big trouble. Dad, when you try to stand up and pray and you're considered a joke, you got a problem. Mom, when you try to teach biblical principle, but you're considered a joke, we got a problem. Almost, you would think, Lot's insane. Really and truthfully, when you study Lot only in the book of Genesis, you wonder, does he even know God? Hold your hand here and go to Second Peter if you would. I'm glad this verse is in the Bible. We're coming back here. Second Peter chapter number 2. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 6. Peter here is making an argument about the righteousness of God and the salvation of the Lord Jesus, and he's proving a point. But in his point proving, there's information for our lesson tonight. Verse number 6 says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, he condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Verse number 7. And delivered 
just Lot. That ain't just as in only. That's also in character or in righteousness. And delivered just just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That word vexed means tormented and that word conversation means manner of life. Verse number 8 helps us understand the verse. For that, please say those two words, righteous man. Now think about a righteous man that swapped his, wanted to swap his two daughters to a group of homosexual men to spare two angels. How in the world can a righteous man do something like that? For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Come back if you would please to Genesis. Come if you would to verse number 13. Please, actually... I want you to come to verse number 12, right? I'm driving somewhere, and I promise you, when I get there in about five minutes, you're going to say, wow, that was great. Let's practice. That was good, right? Who is Lot? When you come to Genesis chapter number 12, you find in the very first verses there that God calls Abram out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees. Chapter 12 is the great promise that God makes to Abraham. And Abraham leaves. Verse number 4. So Abram departed as the Lord has spoken unto him. And Lot, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham, took Sar- and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. So he's the nephew of Abraham. And all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and in the land of Canaan they came. And when you come and you read all the way down, if you come into verse chapter number 13, please, if you would, come, we're jumping here, but read verse number 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now verse number 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks, herds, and tents. Right? So you meet Lot as the nephew of Abraham. You meet him as the traveling partner of Abraham. You meet him as in sharing of the blessing that was upon Abraham's life. Lot was blessed because he was with Abraham. And the blessing of God was upon Abraham and the blessing of God spilled over onto Lot. The blessing was so rich and thick that Satan used it to cause a problem. Look, if you would, at verse number 5. 
or verse number 6, And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself. Here's our word. Please underline that in that verse. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot, what's that third word class? Circle it. Lot chose all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated, right? Themselves one from another. And look, if you would, at verse number 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And pitched his tent toward where? Sodom. Here's the problem. Verse number 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So let's just stop right here. Let me wrap up my introduction and I'll give you my lesson later. Righteous man gets to the point, don't, don't pack your brain up, gets to the point where he does unthinkable things in his family, puts his family at complete risk and shame. He gets to the point where he himself is considered a joke by his kids. When he needs to be godly, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. When we read the life of Lot, you will find that later his own daughters get him drunk and conceive children from their dad. How in the world did he get to a place like that? I would submit to you that it begun, it began when he separated away from righteousness and unto the world. And he made a choice to do it. When it was time to set up his tent and his home, he set up his home with a view of Sodom. I can just imagine... Lot with his wife when they're setting it up. Honey, this this will be so cool. They probably didn't use the word cool back there. 
but this will be something whatever. Look, look, look how pretty that city is at night. Look at the lights of that city. What a view. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, hey, I, I hear the music of the city. Let's sit here a little while. Let's listen to the music. I can just imagine as they see the people of the city. Mrs. Lot. Boy, they sure do look pretty in those clothes. I sure would like to shop at their Macy's. I sure would like to. You know, I think maybe maybe one day we could go down into the city. Maybe we could have a dinner. Maybe we could we could have an evening. I think that would be pretty awesome. What Lot didn't know that he was doing was he was beginning to join his home to an ungodly world. And his wife died. His children died. And his two daughters commit incest with him. And when he needed to be their only hope and stand with some kind of truth, you're a dadgum joke. Our Christian homes are under attack. And our Christian homes should not be pitched Sodom. I'll show you next week. He went from pitched outside to dwelling within. He goes from dwelling within to living about. And he becomes, takes his home and it becomes consumed with the worlds of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let that not happen in our homes. You're responsible for your home to be separated unto the Lord. The world is going to have pretty lights. It's going to have sweet music, beautiful style, wonderful entertainment. But the God of that world is Satan himself. No place for a Christian. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, God, what a illustration of a righteous man that destroyed his family. A righteous man that lost his influence. A righteous, blessed man of God who became a joke to his son, to his daughters. When you rehearse and you study Lot's life, one day he made a choice to join himself with the worlds of Sodom and Gomorrah. He may have tormented his own soul, but he, 
he damned his family. Lot survived it. His wife did. His kids did. What a payment. What a cost. God, our homes are not perfect. And we're not to be separated from the people of the world. You love the people of the world. But the system of the world that is anti-God, our Christian homes ought not to be running after. Help us to see it. Help us to humble ourselves. Help us to be separated unto you, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, I'll dive into the life of Lot. And I'll just leave you with this premise thought. Most of the time, when a dad or mom begins to pitch their home toward the world, normally dad and mom, if anybody's going to survive it, they survive it. The people that don't survive it are our kids. They don't make it. Once the world gets in their heart, the system of the world gets in their heart, and then the sad part is dad and mom see it eventually when they're 17, 18, when they start making their own choices, and then we decide to stand up and speak up for the Lord, and they'll say, you're a stinking joke. You you were drunk when I was 12. You guys fought when I was 13. You mistreated here. You guys were involved in this. You had this. Don't talk to me about Jesus. No parent ever wants to lose their ability to talk to their kid about Jesus. We need this lesson in our homes. I chose a little chorus to go home. I actually chose the second verse. The chorus is, Lord, be glorified. And the verse says, in my home, Lord. Stand if you would. Let's sing it. Please come back next week. The principles here will help protect us in our homes. Thank you.